gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Welcome aboard the Financial Independence Podcast. G'day, and welcome to another episode of Captain Fire, the Financial Independence Podcast, where I open the cockpit to some of the best and brightest in personal finance, as well as those who have reached or are on their way to financial independence. Before we get started, remember, nothing said here is financial advice, and you should always do your own independent research before making any financial choices. With that being said, I hope you enjoy the episode and learn something new. This podcast is brought to you by the best portfolio tracking tool for Aussie investors. ShareSite makes it incredibly simple to track your portfolio with automatic updates of share purchases and dividends, easy-to-read graphs, and comprehensive tax and performance reporting, all wrapped up in an easy-to-use cloud-based system. For users with fewer than 10 holdings, it is completely free, and I even used the free version for years. Head over to captainfire.com forward slash ShareSite dash review to see if ShareSite is for you. Captain Fire listeners can score themselves four months of ShareSite Premium for free by using the bonus signup code in the article. If you do ever decide to hold more than 10 stocks, be sure to use this code to get your first four months for free. Even if you do only plan to use the free version, using the code means if you ever do upgrade, you will still get your four months for free. Ditch the Excel spreadsheet and complete your tax with a click of a button by signing up today. That's captainfire.com forward slash ShareSite dash review for your four free months. So thanks for doing this, Matt. I really appreciate your time and I think we're going to create something really awesome. I must say that when I first started thinking about creating the Money Power page, your page was one of the pages I looked up to in the beginning. And yeah, you've done a really good job with it and your website as well is awesome, packed with some awesome content. So yeah, thanks for doing what you do, Matt, I must say, firstly. Yeah, it's been really fun. It's been a bit of a passion project of mine. It's definitely evolved. Like, I had started a couple of sites, they didn't really go anywhere, and then I saw some really good success with, yeah, with Captain Fire, and it really got me excited, so I ended up making a bunch. So I made another five sites and then bought another one. And I guess the whole point of doing the sites is all about financial independence. And so, yeah, it's what spawned me off doing that. But uh, yeah, I love it. I always spend far too much time doing like, social media, like chatting to people. But, you know, when you're doing something because you enjoy it, you're happy to spend the time on it. So. Yeah, 100%. And to be honest, I just recently listened to your podcast with Matt and Liz. And that's what kind of prompted me to follow you up so we could get this interview going. But yeah, that's amazing. I started the Money Power website just thinking, oh yeah, it'll just be a blog. But I had no idea the power of websites and how you can like, literally use your website, just pack with informative articles and turn it into a full-on business. Oh, absolutely, mate. Yeah, you just put loads of good content out. Like this example, like you to transcribe, this will be a great article for you. And then you'll have the keywords, obviously, in the text. Google's getting smarter and smarter. They're not stupid. Like they know if you're trying to like, keyword stuff or just trying to get to rank one. But if you want to just consistently put out like really good information, give people good value and entertain them and then they'll, they'll stay on your page and they'll click through to other articles and, and then Google knows that and will, yeah, obviously promote you. And then, yeah, there's ways once you've got good amount of traffic to, to monetize. Essentially, it comes down to marketing, right? Digital marketing. I wouldn't call it entirely passive, but it's definitely a semi. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Literally, the past few months, I've just been going through all my old articles because basically when I started I just thought I'll just write on topics that I want to learn about 
and hopefully people can click on to what I've written and learn something too because you know I just got that investing bug and I just wanted to start writing about it but yeah tell me this year I thought to myself hold on a second if you actually spin those articles in an SEO friendly way then you can actually get a lot of clicks and then you can turn that into an actual business wouldn't that be great write about things you love and get paid for it yeah basically it started out like just the same as you and for me it was almost like I was looking at some of the more like OG guys like Mr. Money Moustache yeah Nat Fiantist Obviously, Firebug and Dave Strong Money Australia. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start writing about this, but it's going to be like from my experience, from my journey to financial independence. And it, initially, it was not designed to be a business at all. It was more like just to keep me accountable to my goals of like ETF investing and property yeah. investing and all that. But it, it's great to be able to monetize it and get a little bit back for. The thousands of hours that you spend on it. Yeah, it's true. I know what you mean. Like, my girlfriend looks at me like, what are you even doing? What is the point of all this? But I'm getting there. Show her the checks, mate. Show her the checks. <laughs> my business is the same. And then I showed her across the seven sides, the income being like 100 grand a year. Yeah. Like, I'm like, Jesus. She's just, oh, oh, that's why you spend so much time now I get it yeah, yeah. that's it I, to be honest I'm really at the beginning of this site hustle if you could say like, I love that I've never heard it be called that a site hustle well I'm really just at the beginning of that so I've just got the one side at the moment the money part but I'm really thinking about doing that course with Liz and Matt if you think it's yeah, worth doing it's pretty good like I am pretty much self-taught yeah. I had a friend who did the course I just kept saying to him like, what do I do here what do I do there and he was basically you know second hand giving me the information from the course and I built kept the fire up and I'd had six months and I'd built my second site and then I was like, oh, I'm just going to do the course. So yeah. I ended up just paying the money and doing it. And it's good. Like a lot of the content for me at that stage, I was like, this is kindergarten content. Yeah. And I'm in high school. And then, so they have a champions program, which is like their university, but it's good to go back over the basics. But the real value that I found was the networking that you get out of it. So like, when you jump into the group, there's nearly a thousand people in it and they all run profitable websites. And so you can get backlinks and stuff and you can collaborate, do guest posts, which really strengthens that web of links. It's like really powerful for SEO. Yeah. And I found since joining that network, and like it's literally skyrocket. Like, I was at DA20, on, sorry, DA5 and 6 for Captain 5 when I joined the program. And then now I'm sitting at DA20, which is just like insane growth. DA, what does that terminology mean? So domain authority. Oh. So you have like domain authority and page authority. So like yeah. by definition, Google has domain authority of yeah. 100. Yeah. When you start a new site, it'll have a DA of 1. And it's an exponential curve. Obviously now YouTube being owned by Google has a DA of 100 as well, which means that the higher your DA, it's not the be on end all, but generally speaking, the higher your domain authority the higher you'll rank in Google. So, for example, there's a website, and it's like DA50, and they produce a 500-word, shitty, crappy SEO spammy article on Perla, which, like, ranks number one. And I'm like, on Google, my 10,000-word in-depth review of Perla with heaps of backlinks is now spot two. So that really pissed me off. But it's just an example of if you have a really high domain for each site, Google will naturally bias you higher in the search terms. The only way to get higher DA is to get backlinks. Yeah, and the only way to do that is to put really good content out there and to network. Yeah. And so that's where I found the most value yep. of the digital investors. You can bootstrap and wait until you get enough income to pay for the course, which is basically what I did. 
And looking back, if I could tell myself, just I spent a little bit of money. It's a business expense, so you offset that against future profits. And like I said, yeah, two months ago it was like 28 grand. Last month it was 13. This month it was 20 something. And then I didn't even realize I've got to send another invoice out for 11 grand. So ads up, dude. So it's just all AdSense and affiliate links at the moment? One of the sites I bought has downloadables, like ebooks. So the easiest one is Google AdSense, right? People yeah. click, they see a link. Yep. You get paid per impression, and then mm. you might get paid like a dollar per click. Then the next easiest is this Amazon Associates, um, where if someone clicks your Amazon link, you get a 30-day cookie. Anything they buy from Amazon, you get 1% to 4% of the commission. Yep. Yeah, so say one of my aviation sites is based on like reviewing headsets. Yeah. And I was looking at my like Amazon Associates report, and I was getting all this money from dog food sales, I was like, what the? And then I realized it's because people are clicking the link to go, oh, yeah, I might buy this jacket, or yeah, I might buy this watch, or yeah, I might buy this headset. And then going, oh, no, I don't need it. And then a week later, they're going, oh, I do need dog food. So they jump back onto Amazon, and your cookie is still. Oh. So then you get your 4% of a $100 bag of dog food, and there's four bucks. And it doesn't sound like much, but when you have a 100 of those a month, there's $400 a month. Shit, okay, I didn't realise a cookie, like I knew that you could get an affiliate, like an Amazon affiliate link based on someone clicking on a link on your website, but I didn't realise that once they make that click, then a cookie's with them. it's all about the cookie. Yeah, so those are the two easiest ones. Once your site gets more traffic as well, you yeah. can outsource um, both of those to, to Mediavine or Ezoic, Mediavine, yeah. which are like ad agencies, because Google basically takes 40%. And only gives you 60%. Yeah. But if you go to SOM, you get 80%, and they make it like 20%. So it's just a way of negotiating like high rates for you. And then your next one is just your bespoke affiliate. Since coming to Adelaide, I've just been dealing with a whole bunch of medical stuff and yeah. spending time with family, and I've probably let the website stuff slip for about three months. But it's just continued to get more and more profitable. But that's so, the cool thing about it. it. Like listening to that podcast with Matt and Liz doesn't necessarily need to be like a full-time geek. Like it can be if you want it to be, but it will still keep ticking away in the background. The more you put the effort in earlier, the quicker it will grow. But it will just continue to grow. And like you look at some of these disgusting sites out there mm. and you're just like, mate, did a two-year-old build that site? And they're making like three grand a month just off like this disgusting text-based website and it's like a 12 year old sign or something it's just because the older they are the more backlinks they get so there's the first three another one is guest posting yeah so i started making money on for example captain fire the aviation site the cooking site doing guest posts i don't typically do paid guest posts on captain fire because it's kind of like my baby i don't like anyone else writing there because it's kind of my reputation and my identity is so wrapped up in that one but the other sites to be honest those other sites just exist to make money yeah. So I'll charge anywhere, some of the smaller sites, like a hundred US dollars, some of the biggest one, bigger ones, a thousand US dollars per guest post. And that basically allows someone to come in, write a post that's relevant to the niche, gives value to the readers, and then they get a link, they can basically put a link in. So it's kind of a sticky way to sell that link, which Google hates, by the way. So you charge them to write an article for your website, basically? Yes. So early on, early on in the day, in the game, when it's a small site, you're the one who's asking to do this and yeah. you're paying for these. Yeah. But then once you get some domain authority and some traffic and credit, people want to leverage that so they'll be willing to pay for you. Um, another thing is review. On one of my sites, I got contacted by a gaming company and they wanted me to do a review of their game and post it on social media. Yeah. And they offered me $100. US dollars. And I said, I'll do it for $500. US dollars. Yeah. 
and they came back and they were like, oh, we can't quite do 500, which do 250. So then it was like, yeah. Done. <laughs> There's an extra 150 in the pocket. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Just, I guess, knowing your value and your worth. Because a lot of these big corporate businesses, they're not savvy. They're so clunky. There's so much red tape. They don't care. Like, they've got these marketing budgets to spend, and they think if they just throw money at the problem, it'll go away. They're not really smart or efficient about how they use it. Yeah. Yeah, so you can certainly do that. And another way could be, yeah, and I've done this on Catfire, is sponsored posting on Instagram and Facebook. So, like, you essentially will review their products and you talk about their products, and you can post that up. And I do that, and I charge, depending on the site, it can be anywhere from... 20 up to $500 a post. And then the beauty is sometimes you can even have your affiliate link on that as well. So yeah. you get paid the money for the posting. Yeah. And then you also get your affiliate link, which is kind of like the cream on top. And you've got to be careful though, because you've got to always say, I don't want any of my sites to be spammy. I want to give really good user experience. And the algorithms, Google, Instagram, Facebook, they're not stupid. Like, they know if you're just constantly posting sponsored links or you're not declaring them sponsored, they'll penalize you for it. And you'll lose followers and stuff. So, yeah, so you got to be careful with it. And probably the last one is just paid downloads. So you just sell a digital product like an ebook. Yeah. And you know, sometimes you're anywhere between you know, 5 to $20. Yeah. It's usually pretty good. And I'm always from working US dollars, pretty mm-hmm. much everyone works in USD. So, so then, yeah, obviously you get that extra thing based on the currency exchange rate at the moment so yeah it's true i thought oh, i'll just raise it with him at the start because i'm like this world is insane it's just opening it's like opening its doors to me all within the past few months so i wanted to have a chat with you to be honest when i first reached out to you i didn't even know this world existed but it's all come to the fore in between when i first reached out to you and now so i thought oh it's not in the actual interview but i want to have a chat to him anyway about it because yeah, it's insane it's there's this Iranian refugee or migrant, and yeah. he's a really nice guy. His name's Albors. Yeah. And he wrote a blog about cars. Yeah. And over 10, 10 or so years, yeah. he kept writing about cars. Got to the point where car manufacturers would ask him, Can you please test drive my car? <laughs> Can we give you this Commodore? Yeah. And you, and you drive around for a week or two, and then you write a review and put it on your site. He would rank one for all of the cars and everything. Anyway, Channel 9, I think it was Channel 9 or maybe a news corporation, bought him out because it was competing with their media. Yeah, they paid him $67 million. What? For his car review website? For his car review website. Yep. Yeah, this is this is 100% true. And Matt and Liz go into this and actually Albors comes in on the conferences and he like rolls up in his Lamborghini. He basically, I don't know, obviously you've got to pay some tax on that sale. Yeah. I don't know how many workers he had when he sold the business. I think he had maybe 30 writers working for him. And he says on the interview in the live webinar, yep, I sold the site. Basically, what they wanted to do was take all the content, gut the site, and it was like a hostile takeover, right? They didn't want him to be a competitor. So then he went, yep, no worries, sold the site, took his money, went and hired a couple of dozen more writers, and just replicated the site under a new name. And within, I think within a couple of years... He said on the last conference, it was only last month, he was up to something insane, like 900,000 views a month. So, like, that, those are, that's a ten, tens of millions of dollars sites, like maybe even a $100 million site. Incredible, mate. Incredible. And this guy, like, he just has so much money, and it just shows that if you want to take it to that level, you can. But yeah. at the same time, like, I'm 
comes with a dilemma now, well, it's not really a dilemma, but it's almost, do I keep pushing this and buying more sites and growing it, multiplying it, or do I just chill out, grow my garden, and have a family? Um, and so that's what I want to do. I just want to buy, buy a block of land, the Adelaide Hills, yep. plant a big orchard, your 40, 50 acres, and yep. have lots of kids. That's where I want to go to do Yeah, but that's, honestly, that's the beauty of it all, because you just have that choice, and therein lies the purpose of all of this, right? Yeah, it's good now. But anyway, icebreakers, mate. So let's get in your coffee order. Yeah. Okay. So look, I had to have a big break from coffee because uh, caffeine is really uh, is really messing me up at the moment. Yeah. So if I do order coffee, it's usually decaf almond uh, caf or tea. So I, I drink a lot of light herb tea, peppermint tea. Yeah. Uh, and I like growing herbs on my balcony and then using those to make the teas. Cool. Sounds good, mate. Yeah, so two cats or dogs. happy to see you too, which is cool. Yes, whereas the cats just like, yeah, go away. Yeah. I've had very affectionate cats in the past as well, like we've had toms and that. They almost act like dogs, but yeah, really interesting thing, right? I saw this online, yeah, and it said that people that don't like cats or dogs, they said it's actually an issue about consent. And because cats, you can't like force a cat to do something, so it'll just piss off. Whereas a dog will be obedient and you can control it. Yeah, some people that don't like cats, it's like, well, you have a control issue. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, someone said cats are less than consent. And I thought that That's actually true. resonated with me, so. Makes sense. Um, so three, early riser or night owl. Definitely an early riser, but I have done my fair share of late. all nighters and late nights. When you get into the groove on like website and you're writing and you're just so passionate about it, like you can be like 1 a.m. and you're like, oh my God, I still haven't finished writing this article. Yeah. And then, yeah, especially being in aviation with night shifts, sometimes doing red eyes and stuff. Oh, I've done my fair share of both, but in a early retirement aspect with my choice, I choose to go to bed early and then wake up early. Sounds good. And no alarm. No alarm. That's that's like goals, mate. I'm trying to get to that point, but it's really hard. <laughs> the next one was pretty difficult, Jesse. Um, yeah. It was three people you invite to dinner, dead or alive. Yeah. So, one, I'd love to have dinner with Mr. Money Mustache. The OG. Yeah, the OG. I reckon he would be awesome. Yeah. Vicky Robbins. Okay. I'd love to have dinner with her just to see her perspective on online. And then a third one, it's really interesting because there's so many people to choose from. So many really influential people in the world. But this is probably going to sound a bit cheesy, but I'd love to go back and chat to some of these early scientists, Niels Bohr or Einstein, like physicists, Hawking. Like some of these people just really blow my mind. So I, I can't get an answer for the last one. It would definitely be some who's really influential in physics, engineering, mathematics. Yeah, someone who's really helped shape the world as we know it today. Absolutely, man. Just that second one. Did you say Vicky Roberts? Vicky Roberts, yeah. Oh, Vicky Robbins, so she wrote a book, I think it was like the late 80s or the yeah. 90s, called uh, Your Money or Your Life. What Vicky did was she really helped bring it to the forefront of like modern pop culture. Yeah. And she wrote this book and it's amazing and very well written. And she basically talks about money as being time. People say, oh, time is money. But she was, no, money is time. And money is actually life energy. It's your human capital. It's mm-hmm. your labor. And we all know, yes, you need to convert some of your human capital your labour, your time, it's money at the start of your life 
depending on how you choose to spend that money determines the rest of your life. If you spend from age 18 to 30 working and saving diligently, building a business and investing, at the age of 30 to 100, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, um, if you spend your entire life consuming and spending your whole paycheck, never contributing to society, but instead taking, you're going to work until you drop dead or until you can get onto some form of social security or welfare. So Vicky's book is really cool. And if you want to see Scott Reekins from the Playing With Fire documentary, he's a really awesome bloke and he really recommends you watch that. He interviews Vicky for the documentary and also he's got an amazing YouTube channel called Playing With Fire where he hosts all of these short videos, five to 15 minute interviews that he's done with a lot of these very influential um, people. And yeah, Scott Reekins, Mr. Money Massage and Vicky Roberts have all worked together and I'm, I'm fairly sure Mr. Money Massage has written a forward or a preface to her book now. She's an amazing woman and yeah, I think she's been retired part of her life now. She just lives this beautiful life and yeah, she's probably helped so many people that she doesn't, maybe doesn't even know millions of people's lives that she's changed. So, yeah, very inspiring for me. Insane, yeah. I'm just looking at a book now. I'm going to buy it as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> okay, pineapple pizza? Yeah, sure, why not, man? I, I'm pretty easy going. I eat pretty much everything yeah. except mushrooms because I'm enough of a fun guy. I'm, I'm actually experimenting growing some mushrooms at the moment. I figure if I grow them, then I can eat them and I'll try and get over my food aversion. But usually I don't really have any food aversion, so I'll, I'll try anything. Yeah, coriander, my- yeah, love coriander. Really good in Vietnamese dishes and salads and stuff. Some people say it tastes like soap. I don't really get it. I don't get that either. Like, I can have coriander for days, like on anything. It's fantastic. Yeah. The next one I just added in before we get into the body questions is favourite plane. I'd be interested to see what your favourite plane model oh, is. Oh, yeah, easy, easy. Cessna 172. Cessna 172. It is, like, the most... Manufactured aircraft, like if yeah. you discount the mass producer, the US ones in Russia or for are the Cessna 172, hands down, the best plane ever. The most forgiving plane, the most docile plane, the most versatile plane, easy to fly, easy to land, easy to navigate, two miles a minute, easy, just beautiful plane. You, know, you put the Continental 360 or whatever it is, a light combing 360, 150, even up to a 200 horsepower engine in it. Um, the fuel consumption is very low. It's just to go anywhere, do anything, land short, take off short, beautiful plane. You can fit a constant speed propeller to it. You can put retractable gear on it. I don't know why you bother, but yeah, you put a climb prop on it, a cruise prop, depending if you're using it for training in the, around the airport without having the facts in front of me. I'm fairly sure it is credited as being one of the most, the most highly manufactured plane. Fantastic. Um, so they're still making yeah. them? Yeah, absolutely. I think Cessna tried to build, like a, I think it was called like a 160-something, which was supposed to be like a light trainer, but that kind of flopped. And the thing is, there are 172s in Australia that are 40 years old and still going strong. I've had, in my career, four or five engine failures, three of which in single-engine aircraft. One in a Cessna 150, one in a Cessna 172, one in a Natchang. And thankfully, those three aircrafts have quite low wing loadings. Again, like the Cessna has a very long wing, beautiful wing, very low wing loading. So it's, and it glides beautifully. And in all of those cases, I was able to safely glide down to a landing twice, actually into an airfield and once off into a paddock. Yeah, and actually the one off landing into a paddock, I landed in a cow paddock. And even with gliding with a dead engine, in the Cessna, it was just easy to control all the way down. Just you know, it was things about 65 
70 knots, glide speeds, trim it out. And just trim it out to the normal cruise attitude. That's how planes are designed. The, the glide attitude is the same as the normal cruise attitude. And, and so I feel very safe anytime I'm in a Cessna. Uh, I love introducing people to aviation uh, in a Cessna 172. It's just hands down my most favourite plane. I love hearing about this aviation, obviously. I work in the space. I'm not a pilot, obviously, but yeah, working in Melbourne Airport, you get to learn about all the different commercial aircraft, but hearing about Cessnas is all new information to me. Obviously, you don't get too many Cessnas coming into Melbourne Airport, or not really any aircraft coming in nowadays, back in its heyday. I've into Melbourne, uh, Essendon, Avalon. Oh, you have? Wow. Uh, and Tullamarine, yes, a Cessnas as well. <laughs> awesome. That's so cool. So the next few questions are more investing based. So just wondering if you can share your story behind why you chose to get started investing and if anyone in particular inspired you on the journey. It's a really interesting one, mate, and I kind of fell into this. Yeah. So I grew up in a single parent household. My mum is absolutely amazing. Big family. My dad was not in the picture. He didn't support her financially. And she struggled and with her health issues, you know, she was um, at one point she'd been hit by a car, cycling to work, and so yeah, she had some health issues and, and rehab issues, and it was basically only able to work 0.5, 0.4, and raising a big family on a 0.4 salary as a teacher was a struggle, and we grew up below the poverty line. We never really had a lot of money, so I think that's a, that's just a really core important thing to keep in the back of mind as I explain this is that. I've been very used to and trained to not spend money and to live very frugally from a very young age. So fast forward to high school. I had a lot of trouble in school, a lot of behavioural issues. I think I went to 17 schools or 20 plus if you count childcare centres and everything I was booted from. And when I got into my last two years of schooling, like I had a pretty amazing teacher who was saying, hey, mate, do you realise that you're on a path to destruction? And you better have a long time to think about yourself and look in the mirror about what you want, where you want to be, because the way you're going is nowhere. And I just rushed off. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. But it did stick with me, and I thought, oh, shit, I better get my shit together. So I worked really hard in year 11 and 12 studying. And I should point out that my schooling was quite sporadic. So I, like, I was put up years. I was held back years. I spent a lot of time either being homeschooled or through, like, behavioural centres where when you get excluded from a certain number of schools, they ban you from the schooling system. You have to go and basically go. It's, it's not juvie. You're not, like, locked up or anything, but it, it's just, like, a behavioural rehabilitation centre. So I missed a lot of schooling. So, for example, like, when I was in year 11, I was learning polynomial division in special statistics. I had no idea how to do log division, and that's, like... A oh. uh, crucial substep need to know how to do long division. Yeah. And I'm saying to my teacher, I have no idea what long division is. He just looked at me like, what, have you not gone to school? And I was like, no, I missed so much school. So he was amazing and worked with me to catch me up. And then, yeah, so I ended up doing really well, got basically perfect scores, which enabled me to get into uni on a scholarship. And so basically I got a full ride, so everything paid for, tuition, my books were paid for, and it was really only possible because my mom was amazing and she kind of like sacrificed so much and she'd support us, she'd spend any money she had on stationery and books and I remember the day she bought me like this big corner desk in my bedroom so I could spread all my books out and it was just amazing and she'd spend hundreds of dollars on this yeah. giant desk for me and I, so I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. Yeah, she sounds like an amazing woman. 
yeah, I come from this amazing position of privilege that she basically sacrificed for us. Yeah. And my, my girlfriend at the time, actually, she suffered from domestic violence at home with her mum, and she actually moved in with my family, and my mum did the exact same for her and enabled her to study, and she ended up getting perfect scores in a couple of subjects as well. She was very bright. So, yeah, so my mum's a lovely, amazing woman. But so I guess that takes me to, to uni now where I'm studying engineering and I'm getting paid, and I've always wanted to fly and be a pilot, but I got rejected so many times from, like, cadetships, rejected from, yeah, pretty much everything I'd applied for. I realised that the only way it was going to happen is if I paid to get my training. And when I was, like, 14, my mum had saved and saved and bought me a flying lesson at Parafield Airport, and that was just amazing, to go up in a plane and do the effects and controls. I was like, I know I need to be a pilot. And so, yeah, so I basically started spending all of my money on flying and I continued to live my frugal lifestyle that I grew up doing. Yep. Did spend my money, worked extra side hustles, jobs, like I buy cars, fix them up, do the YouTube or the get online, get the Haynes manual, yep. change the plugs if needed, change the oil, detail the car and then sell it. And you could easily make a thousand, two thousand dollars flipping a second hand car. Same with motorbikes, used to do like a lot of eBay back then. Just any money that I could make would go into flying lessons. Yeah. And so studying engineering and being quite good at academics, getting through that, and as long as I continued to get like a good score, they would continue to pay me and everything. And yeah, basically went out and got like my private license, my recreational license, and my private cool. and my commercial. And yeah, sort of job hopped a lot of part-time jobs. Realised that that sort of engineering desk job wasn't for me. Went and did a few more different jobs, non-flying related jobs, and then yeah, went paid for my ACPL course up in the Sunshine Coast where everyone does it yeah. <laughs> and a few more qualifications. I even learned like how to do crop dusting, all sorts. It was getting to the point where I was just like spending money on like, ratings that I probably didn't need just because I thought, oh, it's so hard to get a job. If I have all these ratings, then I'll be able to get a job. But yeah, eventually I finally landed a job, which was amazing. So I did the um, training course and then went through, did all the simulator training and everything and then the checked a line and yeah, it was basically international transport pilot for quite a few years and absolutely loved it. Once I got qualified, once I was in that program though, all of a sudden like, I still had the money coming in and I wasn't spending it because yeah. I was still continuing to live that frugal lifestyle. And so I decided to like, accumulate money and I was like, if I need to do something with this money. And I probably already knew that when I was doing my training. And then I'd accumulate like 20 grand and i go, cool, that is a multi-engine rating that. Or I've got 30 grand, cool, that's my instructor license. Yeah. Or just stupid shit. I knew I should have been saving this thing, like buying a house. Everyone kept telling me, oh, I know, buy a house, buy a house, buy a house. In fact, I tried to, but the agent sort of mucked me around a bit. It was like some aggressive negotiations, which made me really anxious. So I just pulled the money off the table and said, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And then just spend that money on aviation training. And so, yeah, it wasn't really until I started flying full-time that I was like, cool, I've got to do something with it. I was in a mutual fund, and it was performing terribly. Yeah. Like, when the market was doing, like, 10-plus percent returns, I was yep. getting, like, 4 percent return. And they kept sending me, like, glossy brochures telling me how much money I was making and how smart I was to be invested with them. Yeah. But when I was, like, cross-checking everything in an Excel spreadsheet... Because having an engineering background, I love to look at the nuts and bolts of the mathematics. It just didn't add up. Yeah. So I withdrew all my money and I had it just sitting in cash. I looked at buying another property, couldn't find one. And then I think I, I'd read 
the barefoot investor, and I was like, all right, let's buy some Affic, which I thought was a concrete company. I didn't realize it was a listed investment company. Yep. So I literally bought $20,000 worth of Affic stock, thinking that it was like a construction company. How stupid I was. So I think one of your questions was like, what's the money mistake you've made? Yeah. And that's probably it, because I bought that without any proper due diligence. So I bought it, and yeah, went online, and I signed up for, I think, the Barefoot Blueprint, and then from there, that sort of got me interested in reading about finance mm-hmm. and investments. And then I realized, after getting into the Blueprint, that AFI wasn't actually like a concrete company. It was actually like this is an investment company. And yeah, so I felt stupid, but I was also reassured by the Barefoot community that it was a good thing to do. And I did, I held that stock for a long time, for years and years and years. But as I got down the rabbit hole, I discovered Mr. Money Moustache, started reading, read hundreds of books about finance, personal development, investing. Yep. And the ones that really resonated were like all around the whole financially independent, entirely, or as Lacey Felbridge, Money School, financially independent time bridge. Yep. And it's not about, I don't have to retire early and go and watch TV all day and then play golf and just play bridge or whatever. Like, it's it's about doing the things you love. Absolutely. So, yeah, so early inspirations, obviously, like, like Barefoot, Mr. Money Moustache, Mad Scientist, J.L. Collin, Sethi. Yeah. Well, Sethi Rana, I've got him. He wrote, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Yes, yeah. Which is actually really funny because I was, like, a very fierce moustachian camp moustache. Yeah. And Mr. Money Moustache wrote, an article about him saying, oh, this is kind of bullshit. Rabbit is telling you that you can become rich by spending all your money and only saving 20%. So I was pretty against Rabbit's book initially. I like, was really defensive reading it, and I was like, oh, this is crap. But the more I learned about business and actually focusing on, like, there's two sides of the equation to financial independence, right? One is spend less, and the other one's earn more. Rabbit more focuses on earning more, whereas Pete is definitely spend less. Yeah. Not just spend less, but just spend more meaningfully. So I think there's a compromise between the two. But yeah, I've more and more been enjoying Rabbit's philosophy. And he's got a great Instagram page. He posts a lot of really great stuff all the time as well. And he does interact with you as well. Like if, you, if you challenge him, he'll reply. Not always, but it's tricky, I guess, when you've got such a large following. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, we talked earlier about Dickie Robbins and the concept of not time is money, the concept of money is time. That really resonated with me. And then when I started going down, I guess the rabbit path of increasing the income side, but I started looking at ways to produce businesses. So me and my friend, we started so many businesses, mate, and a lot of them final. We started the Airbnb business before COVID, and that just wiped it out. We've tried property development, which has just been a very long and painful process. Tell me um, about it. <laughs> yeah, we've done all sorts. And then, yeah, we've got onto digital business, all of my business, and yep. somewhat spurred on by reading the four hour work week, just an awesome book. I'm just having a mind blank of the author now. Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Yeah, yeah. I really love the four hour work week and this concept of building a scalable online business, earning in US dollars, and then living in, you know, and he says pesos, which is it basically introduced me to this idea of geographic arbitrage. And the frugal woods talk about that a lot. And living in a high cost of living city, they move to like the woods in Vermont. Like they have a farm and they're raising their daughters there. And by the way, frugal woods follow on Instagram. It's just amazing. Their daughters are gorgeous and they sort of post pictures of them in the garden helping. Sometimes I don't think they're really helping. It's bloody adorable and it's beautiful to just watch their family grow and see how 
financial independence that has allowed them to transition to their lifestyle. Amazing. So, it, honestly, I've missed so many big influences on my journey already, but there are so many more, and I, I wish I could have them all. But those are just a few that sort of come to the forefront. Sorry, very early on, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki was a fundamental mind shift for me. Yep. And it, it actually took me, I'll be honest, it took me years to fully digest and understand that book, the concept of paying yourself first, okay, which I'll just save everyone the effort. Pay yourself first means invest as soon as you get your money and then spend what's left over on your the cost of living. So say your paycheck is $3,000 a fortnight, go ahead and invest $1,500 a fortnight and then live off the other $1,500. Make your budget work on $1,500 and if you can't live off that $1,500, get a side hustle, do some extra overtime, do whatever you need to do to make ends meet. But that's what pay yourself first means, or at least that's what it means to me. And it took me years to figure it out. I read that book so many times being like, this is shit, I don't understand. It hasn't told me how to do it. All it's told me is that I need to buy assets. I don't know how to buy assets. And so I, I got quite frustrated reading that book. But after reading it a number of times, it really helped me. He had a board game called Cashflow Quadrant. It's no longer being produced. If you can buy that on eBay or secondhand, buy it. Spend up to two or three hundred dollars on it. It is an amazing game. You can play it with your friends and family and with your children, and it teaches about moving from being an employee to being a self-employed to being a business owner to being an investor. So his book Cashflow Quadrant is also quite good. Now Kiyosaki did sell his image or sell his brand, and so there's been some I think some shitty seminars with some questionable causes the sold under his name but those two books in that game are just a gold mine yeah and he's actually a really nice guy like i've never personally spoken to him but i've spoken to people who have interviewed him and they say he's actually genuinely a really nice guy a really likable guy yeah and yeah so his book is awesome that's amazing and honestly listening to your story and it's a really great one at that it just makes me realize how a lot of people in this community have come from a similar background and their stories are similar in certain ways obviously the intricacies of each person's story are different but just starting from like beginning your life under some sort of financial duress either direct or indirect leads you down a path to get to a point where you are now and like I'm nowhere near as advanced as you are but I can see the similarities between my story and yours like Rich Dad Poor Dad was a book that I first picked up off the shelf then I went into a few different business ventures haven't worked out and here I am now just learning about digital businesses. But just starting from that period, like that point of financial duress can be so powerful. And I found that like after interviewing a few different people, that kind of was the key point for people to go down this path. And yeah, just insane to hear your story as well. And look, I'll, I'll be honest, like it is trauma. Like it yeah. is childhood trauma. Yeah, I can imagine. And so for me, I'm seeing a therapist about this to try yeah. and like, you know, be able to spend more freely now. Yeah. You know, I still feel, I'll call it emotional pain when I buy like a cup of coffee at a cafe. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, I go, yeah. hang on, this cup of coffee is 20 cents worth of milk and beans. Yeah. I can have this at home. Why am I paying $6 for that 100%. at a cafe? And so that's something I'm getting over. I think, yeah, like some of this like childhood trauma or uncertainty yeah. about finance in your early upbringing yeah. can certainly be like a really big driver. Mm. And look, I've seen people go the other way. I've got a friend who, he was in a very similar situation, uh, but he does the opposite. So any money that goes to his hands is spent straight away because in his mind, this money could be taken away at any minute, so I might as well spend it. And so there's different ways it can manifest with people. And I'll give you another example. My ex-partner yeah. uh, from Sydney, she was raised into a very wealthy family. 
Yeah. And it would have been very easy for me to have just tried to marry into that family for money and then never have to worry. Like very rich property developers, a lot of money behind, owned a lot of business, multi-million, and she always had everything she needed. So to her, she didn't really understand Captain Fire. She didn't really understand frugality because she never really had that childhood trauma. She never really had that wanting something and not being able to afford it. Yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of people that are raised healthily, I would say, because I would say that is a safe, healthy upbringing for a child. There's no need or desire. They don't feel that it's going to be taken away. So I don't know. I might be generalizing here, and I'm sure there are people that have had healthy upbringings that have come into the fire community seeking a bit of a change. Maybe they're sick of a monotonous job or they're wanting time back for a family, but... Yeah, I noticed that, in my experience at least, like people that tend to have healthy upbringings, they don't seem to really be that interested in it because they're fairly well programmed that we're always going to be financially secure. You just get a job or have your business and money will never be an issue. And yep. so they they don't really see the need to have those extreme sort of 80% savings. Yeah, I know. You're right there. In my experience, money was always a conversation and most of the time it was kind of negative. And I, de- I didn't grow up beneath the poverty line, but at the same time, I still have that anxiety around money because there was always arguments about money in my household. And I know you use the example of coffee there. Like as a teenager, all my friends would go to pancake parlor and I'd hate going to pancake parlor because I knew it was just flour, sugar and milk. And they were going to charge us 16, 17, $18 for two pancakes and a bit of ice cream. So I can totally resonate with that. Do you have a side hustle? My side hustle is websites, a form of digital real estate. If you want to learn more about this lucrative side hustle, check out my review of the eBusiness Institute and their online self-paced courses. They cover everything from total beginners right through to advanced web design and how to buy, renovate, and sell websites for profit. As a graduate of Matt and Liz's courses, I can't thank them enough for the valuable web skills they gave me, and now I enjoy growing my portfolio of websites for income. Captain Fire listeners can register for free access to some of these courses by signing up using the link at www.captainfire.com forward slash ebusiness-institute-review. Build your portfolio of digital real estate and start using websites to make money today. So question two, your website is loaded with some awesome content for both experienced and new investors. So why are you so committed to helping others improve their financial futures? Okay, so really interestingly, like Captain Five yeah. is actually the main reason I started the site was for me to learn about investing. So I started posting my experience with finance on Captain Five so that I could be critiqued by the community and so that I could be accountable to myself about my process of financial independence. And I wanted to document it and I wanted it to be so that if anybody else was in a situation they could read my blogs, the reviews, and follow along, and hopefully that might help them make some choices. But really what I was hoping to attract was the bigger fish that was smarter than me that could say, hey, mate, don't waste your time on that. That's not efficient. That's crap. Mm. Let's move on here. And as an engineer, I've been always wanting to find, like, the optimal solution. And sometimes I've got to remember Pareto's law, like the 80% solution is good enough. Well, it's the 20% efforts give you the 80% of results. And, okay, so I started doing that, and then I started putting out my experiences with certain products, services, and I'd be like, yep, I use this, I thought this was X, Y, and Z were good, I thought A, B, and C were shit. And I upset quite a few companies, I got a lot of emails asking me to take things down, or threatening me with legal action because I'm like defaming them or whatever. So yeah, I just thought, look, 
I've done all this research and effort to try and figure out what is, quote-unquote, the best solution for me. So I just put that up to try and save everyone else the time. So I would do reviews of things, hopefully that would save everyone else the bother, and then they would give me the favour in return by being like, yep, yeah, okay, this is correct, or no, that's actually wrong. If this is wrong, have you considered this? They didn't set up portfolio construction yep. or asset allocation. I post up, okay, this is what I'm doing. What's everyone else doing? Am I doing anything wrong? And then I've got so much feedback from that. It's been amazing. And then the more I do it, the more it snowballs. Yep. And I started getting really emotional, personal letters and feedback, and like fan mails. And, Holy shit, this is amazing. It's changed my life. The first time I got the email, I almost like cried. It was like tears in my eyes. Like, I can't believe that people are like writing me this. Yep. And particularly like single mums writing into me. And that's like my little soft spot because my mum was a single mum. And I've yeah. got a lot of friends who are single moms. And I've seen the power that financial independence can have on families, particularly single parent households and single mom households. So I love it. And I love talking about it. I have just become a total money nerd. And I still don't think I have the right answers. I'm not perfect. I yeah. think I've got an 80% solution. It's good enough. Yep. And it seems to be working for me. So I'm happy to just keep working on it. Fantastic. Beautiful answer. Again, the parallels are there. In my own experience, like you went a step further and started thinking about how you could get feedback from others who are more experienced and more advanced than you. And yeah, that's just a great way to look about it and probably something else I'm considering personally as well. For me, it was more around, I want to write about this so I can learn about it and hopefully help others out too. But in your experience, it seems like you took that next step so you could get more feedback from others who are more experienced than you. Next question I wanted to ask you. So you became financially independent before 30, which is a massive achievement, and congratulations for that. But can you reveal any of your secrets to how you got there for readers who kind of want to be like you, I guess, financially independent? Yeah, sure. Look, it sounds sexy, doesn't it, before 30? I was like 29 and a half. I just, it's a bit of a throwaway line. It's a bit of a sound line. It's a little bit clickbaity, so I love saying it. Yeah, um, it's true. Look, there's not really any secrets. The secret is there's no get rich quick. Like, I had my first job when I was 14 or 13 or something. Yeah. Stacking groceries for Foodland. And when I was a kid, even younger, I would buy lollies from, like, a discounted lolly store where they were, like, expired chub shops or whatever. I'd take them to school and I'd sell them mm-hmm. and undercut the canteen. So I feel like I've always had this need for financial security and a desire to make money and maybe a little bit of an entrepreneur streak, just wanting to look at alternate ways of producing some kind of income, but you can only do that when you provide value, right? So the secret is you can get whatever you want as long as you help people get what they want too. So that's Sig Ziglar said that. He's a very famous salesman. And look, so the secret is it's hard work. It's sacrificing the short-term pleasure for long-term gain, all right? So not entering yourself into stupid debt, not like having paying a balance on a credit card. Look, I acknowledge that I could be smart to finance a vehicle and I've had like really long discussions with Vince Scully from the Life Sherpa who, by the way, is an amazing bloke and he's got a really good business uh, and a really nice blog as well. I had a lot of discussion with him about financing cars versus not and he's empirically proven, I think, mathematically that it is a good idea to get a car loan for a variety of reasons. But still, even I see the maps and part of me just can't believe it. I have like emotional aversion to it. My car is like 15 years old, but I've looked after it. It has 120,000 Ks on it and it looks brand new and it drives brand new. Fantastic, yeah. It's safe as houses, right? Just, and people say, oh, it's not air cap rated now, cars have improved. I said, okay, don't drive as much. 
then the most riskiest thing you can do is drive your car. So build a lifestyle that we don't need to drive your car. Build a lifestyle where you're close to work. If you can work online, like I think COVID has shown us that a lot of jobs can actually be done online remotely. I would just say question everything. That's the secret. Question everything. Spend time getting your bills down as low as possible and then keep it simple. Broad index fund investing. But you can invest in all sorts of different things. And everything has a pros and cons. For me, I found the simplest thing has just been total market, broad index stock. And this is not financial advice, this is just how I've personally done it. I've also done investment property, and that's good whilst you're earning if you want to be able to negatively gear it and stuff. All sorts of different strategies, but I'll tell you, you need a strategy, you need a desire, and you just got to stick with it. And it does get boring, and there's this boring part of financial independence where you're like, come on, I'm like, why am I a millionaire already? It's like, no, there's no get rich quick scams. Yeah. Once you've got all, all of that hard work and the savings and the investing done, Automate it. Automate it so that it automatically happens. And the only way to get rich quick, quicker, because I won't say get rich quick, I'll say get rich quicker, is to increase your income. Okay, so you basically just, at the end of the day, you have to be able to get a raise, so negotiate for a raise to get paid a better rate, switch to a better job, change careers to something more lucrative, or start a business. So I think starting a business is a way people can accelerate their earning potential and there are a lot of tax advantages to having a business. So yes, that's the secret. So for me, I was well on my way just through earning a flying wage, saving and investing, and I pretty much reached my like single fire or lean fire numbers. And then through online businesses, I was able to generate a bit more income which I can then either spend the income on my lifestyle or what I'm actually choosing to do is scale the business, take that money and, and use it to buy investments. Reinvest it. Um, yeah. So ultimately the secret is that there is no secrets. Yeah. Um, it's all widely available for free online, not just my blog, but everyone else's blog on YouTube. This guy, Nate O'Brien, he talks about it quite a lot. Yeah. Graham, Graham Stephan is another really popular YouTuber. He has some really good content as well. Brendan, the new money, I forget what he used to be called. Aussie Wealth Creation. Oh, Aussie Wealth Creation. Yeah. yeah, New Money did a really successful rebranding. He's really inspirational to, to listen to as well. Yeah. Ask out Aussie Money Man. He does a lot of really good review content. So the secret is just learn, educate yourself, jump online. Aussie Firebug has an amazing catalogue of podcasts. Literally, go through them, read them all, listen to them all. Fire and Chill Podcast. That's uh, Dave Trumbay Australia and Pat Shuffler. Listen to their blog, their podcast. Like, it's amazing stuff. The content is all out there. Yep. And it's all free. You don't have to pay a cent. Yeah, just as this article will be. And it's like yeah. turning out to be an amazing one so far. I really think that the points you made around delayed gratification and good investing is boring are ones that are really difficult to understand and wrap your head around. But once you do, it all just falls into place and it makes oh, a lot yes. of sense. So changing gears, cryptocurrencies have been a hot topic of conversation this year. I'm curious to see what your take is on the crypto craze and if you're a believer. It's pretty exciting. So I was very negative and I was very dismissive of cryptocurrencies initially. I was a bit of a non-believer. Sort of think, well, the central banks really control everything. I mean, we could talk for hours mm -hmm. about the way the society is designed to Absolutely. transfer wealth and how capitalism is designed to steal the labour of the workers and, you know, how our fiat monetary system is designed to keep the ruling elite in power. Yeah. Cryptocurrency is 
fundamentally trying to level the playing field, right? So we can talk about your money and fungible being limited to store of value. By the way, the secrets of money on YouTube, go and check it out. Just be aware that it is a business that's trying to sell you silver and gold. So just maybe ignore the whole them trying to advertise commodities to you, but literally just hit the secrets of money, awesome YouTube series. And they will talk to you about what is money. And I think that's an essential background for cryptocurrency. And then you just get online and do some reading on, on, on crypto. Look, I totally missed the boat on crypto and got bad FOMO. And I bought in when it was pretty hot. I did some interviews with some pretty smart crypto guys. Steph Oliveira, Gwen Maxi, and I think Andrew Fenton worked from the Coin Telegraph. I spoke to him. Actually, I can send you links to these as well if you want to put something in the show notes. Sure. And these guys really help shift my mindset. The fact is, I think the technology behind the blockchain is pretty cool. The ledger has the ability to allow people to transfer value without a middleman. Okay, so the central banks, the governments, the monetary system doesn't like it. I suspect they don't like it because it gives them less control. Okay, so there's going to, I personally see there's going to be some kind of kickback or aversion on behalf of the status quo. Because, hey, like, people in power, they're like, is this going to stop me being in power? Is this going to change the way we transact? And, yeah, it probably will. I guess watch this space. Was it, I can't remember which country recently just adopted Bitcoin as a national currency. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, it was one of the South American countries. And it's happening. It's happening now. And I'm not going to go ahead and and slap down 100K on on Bitcoin. I think that's incredibly risky. I'll look to get 1% of my portfolio in, in cryptocurrency, and I'm thinking maybe it will be 1% to 5% might be something I'll look at. Look, I'm not rushing out to buy loads of crypto, mm-hmm. but I am slowly dollar cost averaging and getting some. So I buy Bitcoin and Ethereum, they seem to be the two biggest ones. Yep. Again, I am not very well educated on this. Just to avoid the FOMO, I'm just dollar cost averaging a little bit into it. Yep. It reminds me of a quote though. Okay, so in the gold rush in the 1800s, Australia, the way to get rich was not buying, it was not to discover gold. Yeah, you know what I'm about to say. It was to sell the picks and shovels. Sell the picks and shovels. Yeah. So I've met a couple of people through my online community who they have crypto review site and people sign up to their crypto review changes or they basically go to their crypto news website and are displayed with Google AdSense or other affiliate products. And so they're making so much money out of Bitcoin just from talking about it. Interesting. But they don't actually hold Bitcoin. There's this one girl I know who she gets a lot of these exchanges will give you $10 worth of Bitcoin for everyone who signs up. Yeah. And across her website and across the 12 different exchanges, I think she was getting a couple of hundred signups per exchange per month. Crazy. And by the time she like cashed them all out, it was over $10,000 US per month she was making, literally selling picks and shovels, metaphorically speaking, yeah. uh, rather than just holding the crypto. Whether you think of that as a store of value, whether you believe in the technology, there are ways to invest in crypto by investing in like the technology companies that are the back end, tech companies, tech manufacturing companies that produce the technology that enables the blockchain and enables computing. And Matt Lizrard will talk about how they like to invest in companies that are enabling this cyber revolution of the multiverse, this online gaming, this multi-microtransactions, cryptocurrency. It's all backed by something. So, yeah, I I would say, look, I do think it's a really interesting topic. I think there's going to be a lot of growth. I am cautiously optimistic. So I'd say I used to be flat out, like, no way that's the dumbest (laughs) thing I've ever heard, uh, to now I'm like, I've got a toe dip and I'll keep trying and 
Dolicon Savage again. We'll just watch this space. Yeah, absolutely. I think the idea of looking at it from a holistic point of view rather than just trying to analyze it as an asset class is the right way to go about it. Like you mentioned, looking at it from the picks and shovels perspective, looking at it from brokers, the different businesses associated within crypto as well as the underlying tech is a good way to think about it because I was quite similar to you. Like I just wrote it off basically after hearing Warren Buffett talk about it and basically saying that it does not produce any cash, therefore it is worthless. And like you, that kind of idea stuck with me for a while but when you look at it from a holistic view like you're thinking about it it makes a lot more sense to pay attention to it yeah agree what's one share market myth that you'd bust for readers without any investing experience oh easy you can't beat the market <laughs> you cannot beat the market let me just say it one more time you cannot beat the market sounds good any reason any rationale why do you think that okay look i'm a pretty smart guy i tried and i couldn't do it yeah Fair enough. So you went out there, looked for individual businesses, did the fundamental analysis and couldn't get anywhere near the returns of the market? Yep, absolutely. And I even used to say, oh, I got around the same yep. to try and justify it to myself psychologically. I even used like stock picking services like the Barefoot Blueprint and I realised that those are really just media agencies. They make their money from subscription services absolutely. and if they were so smart that Picking the market and stock picking, they wouldn't be sharing that information with you. So the people that can make money stock picking are like insider traders and maybe statistical anomalies like Warren Buffett. And there are papers out there that have shown that Warren Buffett could have just been a statistical anomaly. And if you flipped a coin the right amount of times, you could have copied what he did. Now, I don't know. I don't want to discredit anything from Warren Buffett because I think he's a brilliant man and I love um, reading his books. And as well, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. That's a bit of a rite of passage. I think everybody should read that book. Absolutely. And it does have forwards from Buffett in the later editions, which are great. It's a bit of a hard read, but after you read that, you'll basically come to the conclusion that you cannot beat the market and someone else on the other side of the trade is smarter than you and whether we're talking about the Flash Boys, read a book with Flash Boys, okay. it's talking about how institutional investors were able to beat mum and dad investors by building fiber cables closer to stock exchanges so that they could undercut transactions. And if they would buy and sell a stock and undercut you by maybe a percent or half a percent or tenth of a percent, but over time, that would really add up. So look, you can't beat the market. A lot of people try it, and you just look at the stats. So the best thing you can do is just not buy into all the bullshit. Yep. Don't try and beat the market. Just, just be the market, man. Just be the market. 100%. I uh, wrote an article recently on this topic, and basically I got some information from S&P Global's Spiver report. And they basically revealed that 86 odd percent of Australian equity funds, so these are the experts trying to pick stocks, failed to, to outperform the index over a 15 year period. So these are the people actually trained to pick stocks. 86 percent of them have failed over 15 years. And I can send you the link if you want. Yeah, I'd love to read it, man. And the thing is, well, who has time to research all these individual companies? So I got to a position where I had 20 stocks. I'm reading their shareholder reports. I'm trying to look at their books. I'm reading like the Deloitte, the KPMG, the big four accounting firm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to like suss out, okay, it's the same buy and equity. All right, that's one side of the transaction. Now, when do you sell it? When do you sell it, Jesse? Yeah. It gives you anxiety because a good stock, I guess you should hold forever. But if you hold a stock forever and it doesn't provide you a dividend, at some point you're going to have to sell it to get the money to 
use the money to live or retire. So, yeah, I just found it impossible. So, with an ETF and index funds, I'm basically saying, I can't beat the market. I'm just going to be the market, let the index do all of its work for me, and I'll just get some dividends from that, yep. and also I'll sell off small portions of that. Yep. And that way, there's never a good time to buy. I should, there's never a good time to sell. There's never a bad time to buy. There's never a bad time to sell. And you're dead right there because there's a common misconception that the market's return is average. Like quite often, the market's return is tied to the word average. But really, the market is far from average when you compare how people try to perform against the market. In actual fact, the average return of the market is actually better than what most people get in a super fund or any retail fund or trying to pick stocks themselves. So, yeah, like you mentioned, it might just be anomalies who can actually beat the market. So, yeah, great one. I haven't had that come up as a myth before, but, yeah, you make a really valid point. And then getting on to the last few questions. So what advice would you give to someone brand new to investing but overwhelmed by all the financial jargon and just looking for a place to start? Yeah, okay, so you just ignore all of the noise. I've said, obviously, you do need to educate yourself. But I would say there, there are a few steps to financial independence. And you know, I'll just do a selfish plug. I have got an article which is Financial Independence for Beginners, and it goes through the steps yep. that I think people should take. But honestly, get some skin in the game. Like, maybe don't do something as silly as I did and invest 28 grand into a stock you knew nothing about. Yep. Um, but I would say do some micro-investing. Okay, there are a plethora of micro-investing platforms. So many. Take your pick, right? Any of them is fine. Go ahead and invest a very small amount of money. Get some skin in the game and just see how it goes, yeah. okay? Once you've made a small investment, whether that's $50, $100, or say 500 through a more conventional broker into an index fund, you will become interested in it naturally. You'll want to learn how your investment's going. You will start reading about investments. But until you've made an investment or a micro-investment, you probably won't really care so it's about motivating yourself to become educated, yeah? So dipping a toe is important. And really starting with a, like a beginner book is important as well. So if we're talking about advice to someone who's brand new to investing that is overwhelmed by the jargon, look, just jump on a micro-investing platform and give it a go, okay? If we're talking about trying to give some advice to someone about financial independence, okay, there is some difference between investing is a part of financial independence, but financial independence is different. You read The Barefoot Investor, for example. If you just read that book, or Dave Ramsey's Money Moneymaker, they're basically the same book. Just read, read those. That will get you interested in starting to think about money. Just normalise it's okay to talk about money. Yeah. Uh, specifically about investing, look, I would just say jump in, buy an ETF, buy a broad market ETF. I've got to be careful because it's not financial advice. But Definitely not. I would just say a very small amount just so that you can start learning and that will help start your snowball. Yep, fantastic. And, and if you don't have the money, sell something. Yep. Sell something in your house. you got a surfboard you never use, sell it. Yep. you got a snowboard you never use, sell it. I guarantee you, you can make a couple of hundred dollars selling shit in your house that you don't use, and you can do a micro-investment with that, and you can start the process. Yeah, absolutely. It all just comes down to that idea of opportunity cost, right? Yeah. So I've thrown this question in here, and feel free not to answer it because you probably haven't had time to prepare for it, but I was thinking about it this morning and thought I might ask it because you may not have been asked this before, and I thought it would be an interesting one to ask you. But anyway, so as some readers may know, you're a trained pilot. Are there any skills you've taken from your flying experience 
that you can translate into your investing practice? Yeah, so look, flying's a really interesting one, Jesse. It really changed me a lot and I developed and grew a lot. For example, spending time years working in general aviation, I became quite good at, I was at Schedule A maintenance. So I learned how to change windscreens, change tyres. I swept hangers, helped strip paint off bloody planes, did all the shit jobs. But what I gained from that was a really good learning about the mechanics behind how engines work. And the good thing is that like, airplane engines, like piston engines, work the same as cars. And so I was able to work on my cars. And I don't take my car to a mechanic anymore. And I was able to save money, and that enabled me to invest more. Flying in itself is all about like risk management. And I guess oh, it's tricky because like, the, the flying career, you really do need a long-term focus to get where you want to go. You don't just walk into becoming a captain of an A380. Like, a lot of people will spend 40-year careers in aviation and never make it to captain on a super jumbo. You really need to have that long-term focus. But just in terms of the day-to-day stuff, I guess the risk management, CRM aspect, has helped my, I guess, my emotional intelligence and helping me to control my behaviour. Rather than react to stuff, I try and be proactive. And I guess just in terms of the risk management, owning individual shares, for me, is the most risky thing I could do. And look, I'm not going to lie, I do it. I have micro-investing shares in Tesla. I think I have a Tesla share which isn't a lot, but then I have, what, 400k index funds. For me, like, in terms of it's just translating that, like, kind of risk management approach, yeah. as a pilot, especially as pilots of multi-crew transport aircraft, when I'm flying on really long sorties, you become quite, you just talk shit all the time. That's all we do. Like, we just chat in the cockpit, mostly about money and finance and business. And so I've learned a lot of lessons from senior captains I've flown with, like, other um, Co-pilots, those stuff, and, and even like in crews, you learn a lot from them, like yeah. about their mistakes they've made, but also like just how to fit in and be social, and like the whole emotional intelligence and social skills, because yeah. that kind of stuff like really important in business as well. Absolutely. And knowing how to interact with people, socialize, has helped me in my business ventures, my online business, because at the end of the day, like when you're buying one of these websites or you're writing, like you need to be able to relate and talk to people. So that, that kind of, those softer CRM skills or human factor skills have definitely helped me. I guess some of the more physical skills about maturity, decision-making, delayed gratification, that's all also helped me. But probably, I guess, one of the bigger things as well is traveling the world and seeing different cultures and seeing how some people live. Some of these places are absolute culture shock, right? Like for the flying, particularly around like the Middle East, um, Southeast Asia, and when things go wrong or when societies aren't functioning the way they do in Australia, like it's pretty confronting, man. Yeah, I can imagine. It gives me this huge appreciation for the opportunities that we have in Australia. And after spending a part of half a year in Dubai, working out of Dubai, and just working all the time and not really having any friends over there, always working to try and stack as much cash as possible and barely seeing anything green. Finally coming back to Sydney and it was just like, oh my God, how amazing is Australia? And it just reinforced to me that we live in this amazing country and all we have to do is not spend all our money and invest a little bit of it and you can reach financial independence. But of course, probably the most, single most powerful thing that I have taken away from my career as a pilot into investing is use of automation. When we're flying like light aircraft, okay, some of them don't have autopilots, a lot of them do, and learning to use the automation safely really improves safety of flight and reduces the number of accidents. So by using an autopilot, use a threat error model, threat error management, using the autopilot to counter a threat, 
that can prevent errors from happening, which prevent undesired aircraft states, whether that be heading deviations, altitude incursions, or yeah. something as serious as an accident or, or a crash. We can use automation safe to our advantage. And you think, okay, if we can automate our investing and take the human out of the loop, you can remove your emotions, you can focus your effort elsewhere, and you can just allow your investments to just grow and compound all on their own. Yeah, that's amazing. Great answer. And look, to be honest, the reason I asked you that question is because I've been following Morgan Housel recently, and he did a podcast with Rask Australia, and he talked about the idea of multidisciplinary learning and how you can apply it to different facets of your life. And basically, he's reading a book on the ecology of trees at the moment, and he talked about the best way to grow an oak tree. And basically, in short, the best way to grow an oak tree is in the shadows of another oak tree. That way its roots grow strong and then it can flourish into a large, healthy oak tree in the future. And the thing with that is, though, it takes a lot longer to grow. But the other way to grow an oak tree is outside the shade of another oak tree. And if you grow an oak tree that way, it'll grow really tall really quickly, but its roots won't be strong and it'll easily get blown over or destroyed. And basically he's using that concept and translating it into his investing practice to talk about the idea of compounding. Starting slowly and consistently can help your investing portfolio flourish into the future rather than just trying to chase short-term opportunities and short-term bets that'll have you blown over in the wind really easily if you let them. So, yeah, thanks for that answer. And, yeah, sorry, you had an analogy you wanted to mention. Oh, yeah, interdisciplinary learning. Gardening has been a long passion of mine or a long hobby. We never had a lot of money, but one thing we could do is gardening. I always had a veggie patch ever since I can remember, and learning about how things grow always interests me. And even now, there are so many parallels that can be drawn between gardening and investing. As you mentioned with the oak tree analogy, I like to say, say you've got an orange tree that's producing oranges. Well, if the price of oranges goes down, or the price of orange trees go down, do you really care? Are you going to go and sell your orange tree or chop it down just because the prices of orange trees have changed? No, you're going to continue to grow your orange tree in your garden and eat oranges from the orange tree. And so when teaching like kids to invest, I always go with something tangible like the garden. So I'm teaching my nephew about gardening, planting fruit trees, planting annuals and perennials. Even like tomatoes are good. Radishes are some of the best because radishes, you can eat them within 30 days. And so they can see the growth. Same as like mushroom kids, like they can see the growth. So obviously there's the investment to buy the seed or the seedling and some of the equipment. Then you need to water it and care for it. It needs sunlight and it needs time to compound and grow. And then eventually after that investment, after you've looked after it and you've continued to like make small contributions to it, you then reap the benefit of whether it's picking the radish or a bit later we're talking about a fruit tree, picking the fruit or the bananas or whatever it is off of whatever you're growing. It's a really powerful analogy because investing is the same thing. It is literally the same thing. Yeah, great way to put it. It really is the same thing. And you mentioned the same thing, but it's also the right way to invest as well. Like the right way from what you're explaining, it seems like the right way to manage a garden is the right way to manage a portfolio. Exactly. You're not just going to dig up your orange tree and sell it to someone and then go, oh, sweet. Just made ten bucks flipping my orange. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go and grab myself a lemon now. Yeah. A lemon in two weeks. Yeah. Oh, the price of lemon trees tanked. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to cut my losses. We'll dig up the lemon trees. So I think I'm going to go into Apple. It's just the fact that we've added a market aspect to equities that makes people yeah. view it differently. But if you take the market away and think of it like 
maintaining a garden. It just makes so much sense. Yeah, great analogy. Yeah, ignore the noise and reap the benefits for years and years to come. And it's got to be this long-term focus. Like the same as websites and business. Yeah. It's got to be this long-term focus. If you are just doing cheap, shitty, scammy stuff, trading derivatives on the daily or flogging yeah. off shitty products on your website or spamming users with hundreds of pop-up ads, it's all the same thing to me. Like, really, I want a good, sustainable, long-term business or good, sustainable, long-term investments. And I want a good, sustainable, long-term garden. And a good garden, a good permaculture principle is biodiversity and interplanting and polyculture. So we talk about a food forest. A yeah. food forest is not a monocrop. We don't just plant acres and acres of rapeseed or acres and acres of barley or wheat. No, it's a multiplicity of species. Yeah, yeah you might have 10 mango trees or 10 avocado trees, and but they're all interspersed, and there's natives, and there's supporting, and there's bamboo, which you can rock, and it produces organic matter, and you've got the biodiversity, you've got worms, you've got the fungi, you've got the bacteria. In an index fund, you've got that diversity as well. You've got the big caps, you've got the mid caps, you've got some of the small caps. And look, I understand most typical index funds are obviously heavy, heavily weighted towards some of the larger stocks, but there are ways of, you know, there are some different products which allow you to have more exposure to the smaller caps. But at the end of the day, does that become more like stock picking? I don't have all the answers. All I know is this is what I'm doing and it seems to be working for me quite well. Yep. And as I said earlier in the interview, if anyone who's smarter than me or knows more than me can come and constructively criticise and say, hey, is your blind spot, Captain Fire? You haven't thought about this. Did you want to include this in your portfolio? I'm more than welcome and open to change and hearing those critiques. And like the first principle of permaculture is to observe that nature and see what works, emulate natural processes. And so I, I like to translate that into my investing. And that means slow down look, think long-term, and try not to chop and change. If you're ready to level up your investing, then studies show that automation and removing human error is going to be the key to your long-term success. That's why I switched to automated investing through Perla using the Perla Auto Invest feature. Perla provides some of Australia's lowest brokerage costs, and many ETFs are even brokerage-free through them, which keeps more money in your pocket. Perla are chair-sponsored through the ASX, which means your investments are securely held against your individual HIN, and there is no doubt as to the safety and security of your investments. Perla have a host of tools and features to help you reach financial independence quicker, and you can even follow me and see all of my investments through your Perla login. You can read all about Perla from my comprehensive review at www.captainfire.com forward slash Perla-review, and for an exclusive invite code and free trade, use sign-up code CAPTAINFIRE. Look, my next question, and I think I'm not going to ask you to answer it because I think you've answered it already with your response just then, but it was what your own approach is to your own personal investing style and do you follow a certain strategy? But I think people can grab that from your website. What I might do is rephrase that question into the concept of multidisciplinary learning and how you relate your gardening practice into your investing practice. Does that sound okay to you? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I guess like to summarize, I would say that my investing philosophy is like a core satellite system. So the core being diversified investments. And but that's not just equities and stocks. I have an investment property that I've been building. I have a, a business, online business and a bunch of websites. And I diversify that by having multiple websites and multiple monetization strategies for each website. So it's diversity. And one thing that scares me a little bit is with the property investing is that it is so undiversified. I don't know what the word is for undiversified. Concentrated in that it's one property in one suburb in one state. And it, so like, there are like REITs that you can get in, but 
personally the only reason I invest in properties for leverage. I don't think I'd own a property if I couldn't have a mortgage against it. And obviously my superannuation and annuity are other parts of that diversified core. And yeah, I do satellite investments, small little stabs here or there. We talked about crypto earlier. Now, crypto might go to zero. Bitcoin might go to zero, it might go to $10 million, who knows. Yeah. But I think there's a thing called the asymmetric risk profile yeah. or the upside. At the moment, I believe the risk upside for me personally is worth taking the risk. Look, buying crypto is like just under $5,000. So it's not like it's a huge amount of my net worth. And so remember, keep in the mind, anytime you see people online blogging or talking or like, celebrities or politicians talking about like their investments and they say, oh yeah, I just invested 100 grand in this, I invested 100 grand in that. Think about it as a percentage of their total portfolio because again, it comes back to our risk management. Someone who has a net worth of 50 grand and goes out and buys 100 grand of Bitcoin on margin, that is just the dumbest thing you could ever do. Yeah? But someone who is a billionaire who goes off and buys 100, is it what, Mark Cuban? Did he go and buy 100k of Twitter or Ethereum or something? And the thing he's right into is NFTs as well. And they, they are just so minuscule fractions. That's like, that's like a normal person yeah. going out and investing 20 cents in Bitcoin yeah. and then boasting about it. But remember, they're often doing that to either manipulate the market or, as we said, to sell shovels. They're either connected to the exchanges or they have some kind of vested interest. So yeah. I guess migration investing is to be sceptical, is to have a core approach of diversified investments, I property, stock, business, super, and then I have some satellite investments in things like crypto. I do own like a, a share of Tesla, a few other investments here. Like uh, I buy, I've got Hack, which is a an ETF that's got a bunch of tech companies in it, very small amounts. I do the micro-investing and I also have actually some uh, good amount portion money, about 30000 in a six-market stocks vault, which are robo-advisors. Cool. So it's all about like, spreading my investments yeah. as widely as possible. Spreading the capital around. Cool. Yeah, love it. Again, you've already answered these next two, but maybe I'll just put them in as bullet points in the interview. But what's your go-to resource for finance or business-related content? So like podcasts, websites, etc. Oh, yeah. Okay. Two of my favorite potties. I'll be honest, probably the only two that I really care about listening to. Aussie Fiverr podcast. Yeah. And the Fire and Chill pod. I think those three guys that run those podcasts, they're actually just really nice, genuine, good blokes. Yeah. And it's quite informative. There are a bunch of other podcasts that I do listen to as well, but those are probably my two big favourites that I Amazing. really like. I also really enjoyed the Mad Scientist podcast. So Brendan, I think he's a Canadian. His podcast was really cool as well, but because it was for a, primarily like a Canadian-American audience, some of the stuff, like the philosophy and the underlying principles are the same. When they're talking about, oh yeah, Max, you're a Roth 401k yeah. IRA commercial ladder, I'm like, what is that? With Fire and Chill Pod. I just love how ruthless Patty is. Like, they just call shit out, as they say it. Yeah. And then Dave is just such a lovely guy. Like, he's really happy and positive all the time. I haven't met any of these guys in real life, but I had a chat to them. Some of them have come on my pod as well. Cool. And you just chat to them, and like, with Dave, I just get the impression that he's just, like, this real chilled-out, happy guy, like, Aussie bloke, like, nothing phases him, like, cool as a cucumber. Pat, maybe Pat's a little bit more highly strung, like, he's an engineer as well, and he just has no time for bullshit. <laughs> I love Pat's rants on the fire and chill. And then, yeah, obviously, Aussie fire, like, he's really good, really humble, and, like, when he does his pods, it's about him learning, and he's facilitating the information for people to learn from. And so he's learning from it. Everyone who listens to that episode learns from it as well. And that's why I wanted to do that with a podcast as well. So I try and do 
the same sort of thing, emulating what Aussie fireworks done. And then I get to learn from the guests, and I get to share that knowledge around as well. So those two are my favourites podcasters. There are heaps of good forums online. So Aussie Firebug has got a Facebook group, which is awesome. I think there's well over 10,000 people in there. Wow. So that's good, good if you have questions. Who else? There's my millennial money, yeah. James. Yeah. He's got a really good pod. That's probably like really good for beginners as yeah. well. So I guess I really like the Aussie Firebug and I really like Fire and Chill because they tackle more advanced stuff, but the, the Glenn does some really good stuff. For beginners, it's really helpful for people that are wanting to start on that financial education journey. And I'm pretty sure he was actually like a financial advisor, right? I think so. And so she's on the money is a really good resource. Obviously aimed at young women, like 18 to 30-year-old women. Yep. And my ex-partner discovered she's on the money, and I guess I encouraged her to listen to it more. And I was really proud of her for discovering that and getting interested in money through Victoria's odds. That was really awesome. Because there are these kind of barriers to finance, especially with females. So to see like Vic... Um, breaking down those, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and things like the gender pay gap, there's a lot of great work she's doing in that space. It's awesome. Yeah, and I forget the name. There's a channel called Her First 100K. Tori Dunlop. Tori Dunlop is basically operating in a really similar space to what Fix done here in Australia, but she's especially American. And she's got, and pretty sure it's like number one finance podcast. She's really good. She focuses a lot on trying to cut that pay gap down. How, and it's not just beneficial for women. Like, I listen to her stuff because it helps me as well. Yeah. And I know it's primarily designed for a female audience, but there's a lot that guys can still learn about how to negotiate better in like, job applications and yeah. basic stuff about investing. Victoria and Vic are both so great resources for everyone and yeah, for especially young women, setting some really good examples. So those are probably like the podcasts. In terms of blogs, like, oh my God, there are so many, so many yeah. blogs. Yeah. Like, I feel like I need to maybe just email you a list. Like, okay. <laughs> Strong, Strong Money Australia, you know, CLS Fiverr, Lifelong Shuffle, yeah. um, Strong Money Australia, Mad scientist, go curry cracker, early retirement extreme. I've got a huge list. And I apologize to any awesome bloggers that I've missed because there are still heaps that I've missed. But I've got a, a big list of them on my website. I can link to that or something. Yeah, sounds good. Last question. So I know you've mentioned a few books already, but more of a specific one. Do you have any must-read books you can re- recommend to beginners just wanting to start off on their investing journey? Yeah, I definitely can, mate. So I've probably got couple of core books that I'd recommend. The real beginner ones, Airport Investor by Scott Payne or Dave Ramsey's Total Money Maker. So they're probably two of the beginner books that everyone should read. They're like the Bibles and personal finance. Right? Yeah. They're very similar books. Probably the next one I'd recommend people read is Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Again, you might be a bit confused about it, but it's like fundamental foundational reading. Then I'd have a read of Your Money or Your Life by Vicky Robbins. That will start to put things in perspective, all right? And now you're going to be thirsty and you're going to be like, how do I actually do this? So then you jump onto The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Now, J.L. Collins' book is for free on his website, like his, all his articles, or you can pay, like, it's a couple of bucks. He's made them into an amazing ebook and put pictures and stuff. After that, when you're really wanting to accelerate your journey to fire, The 4-Hour Workweek, as we discussed by Tim, Ferris, very cool book. Talks a little bit more about how we can increase that income side of the house. Again, I will teach you to be rich by Ramasethi. Again, that talks about how to increase that income side. Then, The China Study by Dr. Colin T. Campbell. Now, this isn't strictly a personal finance book. Doesn't it's mean. a book about health, and it talks about eating a whole, mostly whole food plant-based diet. Yep. And it talks about the implication of our diet on our health. And just on that, 
There's a book called In Defense of Food by Linus Michael Pollan. His tagline is Eat Food, Most Clients, Not Too Much. We talked again about that interdisciplinary learning. This is all linked, okay, because when you're eating a plant-based diet, you're healthier, you have less medical issues, you spend less on medical costs, yep. your food bill are lower, you're going to have more energy, you're going to feel it's better for the planet, it links back to you have more money to invest, you can make the world a better place. So those are probably like my top, what's that, six or seven books that I would say are important. We've mentioned a couple of other really interesting ones, such as The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Yep. That is a hard read. It's a bit of a rite of passage. I recommend anyone, please try and get through it. It's really good. Yep. And then, honestly, can I list more? Is it too many books? Or whatever you like. Go for it. Okay. Other awesome ones. You Can Negotiate Anything by Herb Cohen. Yep. Beautiful book. Warren Buffett's letters, so he does shareholder letters that he's been writing to to Hathaway shareholders for decades. Peter Thornhill is an amazing Australian investor. I'm pretty sure he has like an income stream of half a million dollars in dividends. And he talks about investing in industrials and listed investment companies. His book, Motivated Money, is amazing. We often have this debate between ETFs and LICs. I started out with a lot of LICs and I've moved to ETFs, but I still really like Peter Thornhill and his principles. So that's a really cool book. Just rehashing the Beverly Investor for Families. Again, awesome book. Talks a little bit more about financial education for kids, where we talk about the give, spend, save jars, the growing the plants, helping parents to give age-appropriate jobs to kids. So this is going to be a bit of a shock. Thomas Stanley, he has a series of books called The Millionaire Series, The Millionaire Next Door, um, and all of his how to think like a millionaire, all that kind of stuff. A couple of small little biblical tales: The Richest Man in Babylon, Think and Grow Rich, yep. and Acres of Diamonds. Now, I don't think they're specifically biblical tales, but they are like parables. They are fantastic books that you can take some really cool stories away from. And I'd say like those are kind of like fundamental ones about investing. In terms of the more I read, the more awesome stuff about lifestyle and mindset have really opened up. It's the fact that I deserve this lifestyle, I deserve financial independence. And so reading books like Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, obviously people get annoyed when people recommend that book because it's almost a throwaway line, but it is actually a really important book. And probably my favorite principle of that is sharpening the score and self-care. And self-care is so important. I just finished reading How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicole Lupera, and that is a fantastic book about overcoming trauma and being more your authentic self. So a lot of these books on psychology and self-improvement are wonderful and have really helped me. Another great one about investing is Dan O'Reilly's Predictably Irrational, and he's great. I'm pretty sure he features in the movie The Big Short. They get him to explain derivatives. Playing with Fire by Scott Reekins. That's awesome. He's got that as a documentary and a book. Being the Frugal Woods, I mentioned earlier, Elizabeth and her husband, they moved to Vermont. That's a really awesome book. Quit Like a Millionaire by Christy Shen. That's actually got J.L. Collins has participated in that book as well. That one's awesome. It can be super overwhelming to hear this list and go, shit, I've got months worth of reading. <laughs> Just, you can borrow these from your library. You can listen to them for free online. There are these websites that do book summaries. Yep. So you can literally just go to these book summary websites and get a short summary and take away the big points. But I don't think anything could really be having a physical book and reading it in the park under a tree. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really impressive list, firstly. But what I'll do, I'll break it up into different subheadings. So get started, 
mindset, advanced, etc. That way people can read the list in a more pal- palatable way. But I think it's definitely worth having all of those books listed in the answer to that question, 100%. That kind of brings us to the end of the formal questions. And I just really wanted to say thank you for your time, mate. Like you went over and above everything I expected. So yeah, I really appreciate your in-depth answers to the questions. And I'll do my best to have a draft of this article ready within the next couple of weeks or so, and I'll shoot it over to you for posting, obviously. But, yeah, just a massive thank you. Yeah, no worries, mate. No, it's been great. It's always nice to connect with like-minded people and yep. love spreading the good word about their financial independence and just the power it can have to change people's lives, particularly vulnerable people, single moms who are struggling to look yeah. after their family. If they can get a hold of any debt and start getting into the surplus, start getting some passive income straight. I think it can really change people's lives and it's certainly changed my life and I've seen just a few of the people that I've coached privately, my friends and family through this kind of stuff. I've seen huge changes in their life and their attitude and so yeah, I'm really passionate about the topic so more than happy and in the morning chatting. Yeah, sounds good. I'm just overwhelmed with the breadth of your knowledge. After this, I'm just going to sit over and listen to this conversation again before getting it on paper. But yeah, thanks again, mate. And yeah, have a good day. And we'll definitely stay in touch. I have a lot of, I don't know, if you're open to helping out, I have a lot of questions about websites and stuff because I think I'm definitely going to spend some time looking into this space and try to optimize my own website initially and then possibly look at expanding the portfolio like you've done. Yeah, man, no worries. Yeah, just send them through. I'm usually pretty active on social media. I'm probably addicted to Facebook and that. Yeah. I've got a group as well on the Financial Independence Australia and yeah, there's a couple of thousand people in there which is cool and so that's a good forum I guess for asking questions specifically about the website stuff and look again like this is a pretty cool interview uh, we went over a lot of really good stuff we did alright well, you have a good day and yeah we'll chat soon thanks again cheers 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 bye thanks for listening to another episode of the Captain Fire Financial Independence Podcast to read the transcripts or check out the show notes head over to www.captainfire.com for all the details. If you have a question for the captain, make sure to get in touch. You might even make it on the airwaves. You can reach me online through the Captain Fire contact form or get in touch through the socials. I'm active on Facebook and Instagram as well as a number of online finance and investing forums. And finally, remember... The information presented on the show and the links provided for general information purposes only. They should not be taken as constituting professional financial advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decisions and make sure it's appropriate for your personal circumstance. 